So hey there, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. Hey, it's your host, Josh Cantwell. Today, I have a fantastic interview that I'm doing with Bronson Hill. He is the CEO and founder of Bronson Equity at bronsonequity.com. He's written an amazing book called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage, which you can download for free at bronsonequity.com. He has invested in over 200 million of multifamily assets using a fund of funds structure. He also invests in ATMs. He also invests in car washes. And we're talking today about some amazing strategies, primarily around number one, specific questions to ask a new private investor, how to break the ice and what questions to ask. Number two, we'll talk about how to position yourself with private investors, whether it's ATMs, car washes, real estate, or whatever, how to position yourself not only as the expert, but as the leader of the group, right? The leader of a group and how much important that is versus just being the expert investor, being the leader. And also number three, we're going to talk specifically about some of Bronson's takeaways from raising his first $10 million and some of the questions that he asked, the specific path that he took these investors down and how he was able to recruit over $30 million of private money, some of it while he was still in medical device sales. Finally, we'll talk about his pivot from medical device sales, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to getting out of that, to being a full-time entrepreneur and a full-time investor. You're going to love this interview on Accelerated Investor with Bronson Hill, the CEO of Bronson Equity. Here we go. So Bronson, listen, welcome to Accelerated Real Estate Investor. Thanks for carving out some time to jump on the show today. Josh, I'm really excited about this show. I've been following you for a while. I just love what you're doing. Love talking about real estate, finance, investing. So really excited to, to have a conversation here. Yeah, absolutely. Bronson, listen, I know you're very successful with multifamily, a couple hundred million. You mentioned in the pre-show, ATMs, car washes, things like that. So as we kind of introduce you to our audience... I would love for you to talk about for a minute, just kind of what you're excited about right now. We're recording here in February of 2023. What about today's market excites you? And then we'll talk a little bit about if you're planning on changing your strategy at all based on this kind of looming recession. But first, let's talk about the good stuff, the fun stuff. So what are you into today? What are you excited about that you're working on that you're passionate for? Yeah. So I'm excited about a lot of stuff. I think owning real estate is awesome. Any stuff that I own, I feel great about. It's getting harder to get deals done, at least in the multifamily space because of lending, but there are some creative things that can be done. So I'm really excited about you know just multifamily ownership. I think there's incredible demand for the long term there. We've also, as you mentioned, branched off into some other things. But I just I love, you know, when things get a little bit uncertain, those are times where people make massive amounts of money. The idea of like being fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. A lot of people are afraid and there's just this record amount of cash sitting on the sidelines. Uh, Bloomberg said there was $5 trillion in bank accounts of Americans. This was as of a couple months ago. And that's a record. The highest ever was $1.2 trillion. So we're basically 4X what we've ever had. So I think it's a great time to get into deals if you can make them work, especially real estate. And that once these interest rates start to stabilize, all this money is going to flood in and we're going to see valuations go up a lot. That's my own opinion, but I think that's kind of where we're headed. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that rates are going to stay high for the next two years. The Fed is going to make moderate interest rate bumps, 25 basis points here and there, and try to have a soft landing. And then I'm also a firm believer that Gen X 
that is really going to be in their peak spending years, 46 to 48 years old, that's going to happen in 2025. We're also going to be coming out of either the soft landing or the recession, and the Federal Reserve will want to spur the economy. And so in 2025 is that exact time that I'm betting. You got to make bets, right? When you're in business, right. when you're an entrepreneur, you got to take all the data that you have and then make some some bets, You know, some risk-reward moves. So I don't think we're going to be refinancing a lot or really selling in much in the next two years. We're going to hold on to that. And then in 2025 is when we're planning for those refis. In the meantime, Bronson, what, what are you working on to still, if, if multifamily is harder to do in certain markets, which it is, right? Because just the cost of the debt went up so high, a lot of deals don't cover from a coverage ratio perspective. What are some things that you're looking at doing for yourself? And then I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your book, how to use inflation to your advantage, because inflation is obviously here and probably going to be around for the next two years a little bit. So what things are you trying to do to do transactions, to make a profit? What do you think are some options to do that? And then how can we use inflation to our advantage going forward? Yes, a lot of questions there. That was great. And I actually, I do panels with uh, about inflation. So I bring some of the smartest people that I know together. We do once a month, we do a panel about inflation. We have it on our YouTube channel. We also talk about multifamily, different things. And there's different opinions on what is going to happen. Is it going to be six to 12 months? Is it going to be two years? Is it going to be how many years? Are rates going to be high? Well, I'm of, I'm of the opinion, I think, you know, the time recording, I think it's going to be about six to 12 months. And then I think they're going to have to, due to some crisis, they're going to have to start lowering rates again. So I have a different opinion on that. But regardless, whether it's two years, three years, a year, six months, whatever time frame it is, what everybody wants to know is what do I do right now? Like, I've got this right, cash, sure. what do I do? And so, you know, what are the available options? And so this ebook that I wrote, how to use inflation to your advantage, free download at my website, bronsonequid.com, basically just gives a strategy of how do you use inflation to your advantage. And if you're a real estate investor, you're familiar with part of this. And it comes from just basically taking out debt that's below the rate of inflation and buying stuff that actually pays you to hold it, right? So when you own a rental property, you own, we're in multifamily, you're in multifamily, you're buying, you're putting, you know, it used to be 20, 25% down. Now sometimes it's, it can be higher, you know, 30, 35, 40% or more down, but you're putting money down. And then basically you're getting to use somebody else's money to buy an asset you know is going to be worth more in the future. And you're going to pay it off in the future with dollars that are worth less than they are now. So basically, you get a kind of a spread on both sides. You know the asset's going to be worth more. Now, you don't know in the short run, in a year or two years, things can fluctuate a little bit. And we're seeing some prices start to decline, particularly in multifamily in certain markets. But if you're buying in growth areas, like we buy a lot in Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, we're seeing those are areas where so many people are still moving to these areas. There's such a shortage of housing. You know there's going to be incredible demand. And then the Fed just can't help but print and create more money. We just can't stay on budget. See, it's almost like if somebody gave you a playbook of how do you get wealthy, this is just kind of a general thing. If you buy a house that's $100,000 and you put $20,000 down, if your house appreciates to $120,000, you, know, you haven't had a 20%, you've had a 20% improvement in the price, but you've had a 100% improvement in, your, improvement in your equity. So that's for a lot of investors, just getting on the right side of, of using other people's money, using it to your advantage. And there's other assets that people use for this. So we've actually found, I mean, right now you, you mentioned, you know, there are, there are opportunities with assumable loans and there's certain types of opportunities with multifamily and things like that kind of on our pre-call. Uh, but basically we're, we're shifting a little bit to do, we've been doing ATM machines. We're partnered with a large ATM operator in the country. It's basically the most predictable cash flow investment that I've seen, which multifamily is a great long-term appreciation investment. Sometimes the cash flow can kind of go up and down. It varies a little bit. So having predictable cash flow is great. We've also ventured into car washes, which really is, it's called a private equity roll-up strategy. I can explain what that means. So private equity roll-up is basically, if you were to buy 
a laundromat or a pool cleaning business or a car wash or some business that's maybe a not non-sexy business, right? People will sell these typically at about five to 10 times earnings. But if you own 50 of them and they're run well and they're profitable, private equity will come in and pay 20x earnings or more. So basically the goal is to is to get, you know, some of these car washes to go in and it's a car wash franchise we'll go in and we'll basically uh, create more locations and that there's a lot of value created of just putting together this portfolio um similar with real estate, you know, real estate like a, a REIT will want to buy a uh, you know, $500 million project, but they wouldn't want to buy a $5 million project, right? So you're basically creating a larger deal. So instead of having just like, okay, we're building this apartment, we're putting up another building, or we're putting 10 units here, so we're doing with, with car washes and the multiple goes higher in that situation. Fantastic stuff. So how do you structure the purchase of the car wash? I'm kind of asking this for selfish reasons because I'm curious yeah. myself. Purchase the first car wash or purchase or buy into or invest into a small operator that maybe has three, four, five locations. And then whether it's franchise that out or whether it's raise more capital to open more locations with one operator, tell me about the growth strategy to do the roll-up. Yeah. So what we've done, and again, there, there are different ways to do this. This is kind of the first time I've really been involved with this, but I think it exists. I've heard about it in dental practices and medical practices and other things. There's groups that are doing this in private equity. So it's out there for different industries. And again, we're not, we don't have this, we're not offering anything as we're sharing this, but the car wash that we we're using, it's, it's one of the most profitable franchises of all. I mean, if you look at I think Chick-fil-A is number one and there's Panera and there's a couple others. And then it's like number four is this particular car wash. And so, you know, the, the franchise itself is a great franchise. There's 228 locations, but really what it hinges on is how good are the operators that are operating this particular franchise. So we found a group that basically had, you know, three or four of them. They uh, took one. It was one of the busiest stores in the country in San Antonio, and they improved the membership by 30 or 40% over a period of like three months. And so we're seeing that, okay, these guys, we feel like they can do it. So the goal is, is basically to go in and franchise, to raise money, to, to work with this team that's already doing it and basically continue to build and just create more franchises in other areas and operate them well. So we have the cash flow there. So investors cash flow typically about nine to 12 months after you know they invest. But basically the goal is just to continue to build this portfolio and then sell it in less than five years. So once we can get, and we think it might be actually more like three years, but it really, it's a pretty strong return for investors. And we feel like it also has a recess, recession resistant component to it as well. Yeah, I love it. People are still going to wash their cars, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what? And so, for you as as an investor in this, as a partner in this, is it similar to a co GP situation with multifamily, where you have these operators, guys that know how to run the wash? It's already got a brand, a color scheme, a logo, and a system, and they're looking to expand, but maybe they don't have another couple million dollars to open up location five, six, seven, and eight. And you know how to recruit money from investors and become a co-GP. And then you roll it up to the private equity and everybody gets paid off. Help me understand that part. Yeah. So this is considered a fund of funds. So I, I really do. I've done the co-GP with all of our multifamily stuff, our 2000 units. I'm involved in the asset management. I'm not the person who finds the deal. But the nice thing with a fund of funds structure, and I've realized that at the end of the day, an investor is really looking for a good return, right? They're looking for a good return. It's either cash flow or it's appreciation. And there's many vehicles to get there, right? So there's many different things and it can look different in different markets. And right now, like you said, multifamily is a little more challenging. There are really good deals that are out there. A lot of people I know are like yourself are really looking and finding things that are creative situations. But it's having some diversity and other types of things can be really creative. So this is basically uh, 
an operator. It's, it's a partner I've worked with before that we've we've done some fund of fund stuff. So what that means for those that aren't familiar, we basically they have you know the operating structure. They're looking for investors, and then we say, hey, we'll come in and we'll bring our investors to this deal. And sometimes the investors get a better deal. There's some sort of benefit to coming through us where we write one check for a million or five million or whatever amount that is. And then um, our investors benefit from being a part of the deal that they may not have found otherwise. Got it. Love it. Bronson, to that point, I would love to hear your take on relationships with investors, right? Because I'm a huge proponent of instead of find the deal first and the money will follow. I do not subscribe to that. I subscribe to, and you know, it's almost the requirement from the SEC, if you're going to go like a 506B route, that you have to have the relationship with the investors first, and then you can show them an active deal. And so my philosophy that's allowed us to do 19 syndications and 4,500 units and all this kind of stuff is the relationship with the investor first, right. the investment second, right? Tell me about your philosophy. How, how do you raise money? What are some core philosophies for you about the way you have relationships with investors and build those? Yeah. So it's really interesting. My background is medical device sales. We'll probably get in my background in a bit, but I, I just went out and it was when I first started that, it was kind of like a question of like, you know, well, we need somebody that has experience in medical device sales before we hire somebody for a medical device sales job. And it's kind of like that with syndication or with raising money. You're like, well, People want to know if somebody has experience, but how do you get the experience if you don't have the experience? And so a lot of what happens is you have to you know, associate yourself with people that maybe are a few steps ahead of you. A lot of times I work with operators now that have well, my, my partner now on, on the multifamily side, 28 years of experience and 13,000 units, just a huge track record. Just And that's awesome, right? So my inexperience in actually managing an asset is not as big of a deal. But over the years, the last four years, I've actually had 1,300 one-on-one phone calls with high net worth investors. And so I've learned a lot about you know, who to talk, you know, what, what are they looking for, what are the things that are there, how do you, you know, get those conversations going. I run a meetup in Pasadena, California that we, you know, I've been able to get investors from there. You know, and actually, my first investor ever came from, you know, I learned about multifamily. I'd been doing single family, learned about multifamily. And basically, I started, I approached somebody who ran a meetup in real estate and I said, hey, uh, what if we start another meetup and I'll do all the work. You just show up. We'll do it on multifamily. And she's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. So, <laughs> so we did it. And we promoted it a lot. We had 60 people at the first meetup. And a guy I'd never met before comes up and he's like, uh, hey, I, I do one of your deals, Bronson. And I was thinking like, are you talking to me? Like, I don't <laughs> So I went and got coffee with him. And it just, you know, we're able to kind of really figure out what he needed. I was able to introduce him to another guy I met at that same meeting who had a deal, was looking for money. And so that's kind of really what you're doing when you're, I kind of look at them a little bit as two different functions. And, you know, either you're really good at, hey, I'm going to be really good at raising money and working with investors. And I think if you're going to pick one, I love that one because it's much more scalable. It's when you have the money, you can really dictate, you know, terms on a deal. You have a lot of benefits to that. Or there are people that just want to operate. I mean, there are groups that do everything and they do it all. And that's great. But typically there's team members that have different types of functions. But but I think in general, you know, when, when you have conversations with investors, when you're trying to figure out what they need, it's, you know, conversation number one is pretty awkward. And by number 50, you're kind of getting more comfortable. And then once you've had like a few hundred, you're like, okay, I think I could do this in my sleep, right? Because it's basically right. the same conversation every time you're trying to figure out who you're talking with. And you have I've kind of a talk track I go through. And it's been really helpful to raise now about 30 million over the last four years. So it's been, been nice. a lot of fun. So let's talk to those people who've maybe had those first 50 conversations that are still awkward at it, that are still kind of tripping over themselves a little bit, not sure what to say. For you and I, that conversation is very repeatable and repeated. A lot of the same questions, a lot of the same answers. But from your perspective, what are some of the keys? Like, What's like maybe a favorite question or two or three that you like to ask 
during that conversation or what's a response that you get from an investor often that's a buying question? Like, what are the things that stand out to you that are buying questions or relationship questions that you think are critical? Yeah. So I thought I knew how to sell because I was 10 years in medical device sales. And I, but I, I came to this and it's very different. You know, when somebody is talking to somebody they may invest in, it's, they're really looking for a few things. You know, the first thing is, you know, this, the, the no like, and trust, right? They've got to get to know who you are. That's why doing podcasts like this, what you're doing, putting content out there, books, eBooks, uh, all that stuff, they got to get to know who you are. And it's amazing how just by a podcast, I've met people and I feel like I knew them and they were, I realized I didn't never had a conversation with them because I, but I'm sure you have people like that as well. They spend all this time with you. So a lot of people are really looking for, for credibility. They're looking to say, well, you know, who are you? Can I trust you? Can I trust what you're doing? Can I trust your experience? Very quickly on the, on the call, what I do is, you know, I'll just kind of welcome people to call. This is kind of, I set an agenda. This is kind of what we're doing on this call, you know, passive investing. Sometimes people want to talk active. So I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's make sure we have the same goals here. And then I'll say, give me a sense of, you know, how do we, how do we get connected? So how do we, how did you find us? And that's a kind of a compliance question as well. And then also what's your, what's your background in real estate or what do you do for work? And those two questions about your work and real estate background give you tons of information because, you know, a doctor that has had, has a $5 million net worth, but has never bought any real estate and only in stocks and bonds. This is going to be a more basic question about syndication, right? Mm-hmm. But the person who gets on is they've done 15 syndications. We're going to have a conversation about cap rate reversions and you know all, all you know what's the rent growth assumptions all these different things that are more technical right so getting to know who very quickly who's on the phone and just and then I try to ask sometimes people especially they're more experienced I'll say well what is what is a perfect deal for you look like and I'll just say you know I'll kind of put some things in there and a lot of times people will have objections and a lot of times I think our our response to objections often as people that because if you're raising capital you're selling you know we don't realize we're in sales we're actually selling but the, the response is often defensiveness or, well, let me tell you this, whatever. But you have to recognize that an objection is a buying sign, right? If someone's like, hey, I don't know, I don't like this, or I'm thinking about this, whatever. Well, what they're doing is they're actually picturing themselves being in your investment. And that's a really good thing. They're visualizing and they're kind of like, well, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. So if you can, in a nice way, say, well, that's, that's a great thought. I like that. Well, let's, let's play that out, whatever. And then you basically find a way to kind of help them through that. So again, I think that's a big thing is a lot of people don't realize that when people bring up problems or issues, and the other thing about this is you're not going to bat a thousand. I think we've done metrics on this. The first thousand calls, I had 17% invest. The average investment size was $76,000. That's helpful to know. It's helpful to know that not every single person is going to invest in your stuff and people get on that call for different reasons. But I think it's a numbers game. The more you can get on the phone, the more you're going to have those conversations, the more good things are going to happen. Yep, I agree. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. One of my favorite things to say when we start an open that conversation is, hey, are you an active investor, a passive investor, or both? And yeah. then another thing I love to ask is when I ask investors to say, look, if you had two options, right? If, I could, if you could pick one bucket or the other, one bucket being, hey, if you were somebody who is willing to risk your principal in exchange for a higher return, more fluctuation in principal for a higher return, or are you in a different bucket where you want to preserve your principal 
in exchange for a lower return? And I let them answer. And then I say, well, what if you could have both, right? So we catch them off guard. What if you could have both, meaning preservation of principle and that higher return? Maybe it's a pref return plus equity, and then it adds up to an 18 to 20 to 22% annualized return. That catches people off guard. I'm kind of selling, but I'm letting them answer the question first. They answer it. And I said, well, you know, there's strategies out there. We could actually get both. What if you could actually get both? And then they're kind of like, ooh, okay. Right. So they answered the question, which means they think that they're right and they're comfortable. Right. But I have some, some solution that will allow them to do that. And also active investor, passive investor, or both similar to what you'd asked because you want people to talk about themselves. Right. Because right. these people, if they talk about themselves, they're actually going to get more comfortable with you. I also tell my audience, look, the person that asks the questions is in control. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be a genius with all the answers. But you can look like a genius with all the questions. Because if you ask the right questions and continue to ask questions, you don't have to be in such a defensive mode. Because if you're the one asking the questions, you're actually on offense. Yeah. Right? You ever get like, you ever have a coach or get into a, an argument with somebody and they're peppering you with questions? You're like, just feel like you're getting painted in a corner. <laughs> well, that's similar to what an investor call can feel like if you have somebody that's peppering you with questions. There's a lot of buying questions in there, but I love to yeah, flip yeah. it around and try to put the pressure on them. And then I like to also tell people, look, you have to qualify yeah, to yeah, yeah. accredited yeah. or not accredited, but you have to be at least sophisticated. So tell me about that. And then that puts some pressure, takes away some pressure from you. So if you've, yeah. you haven't done those 1300 calls like Bronson has done, I've probably done about a thousand, give or take similar, and you're a little bit unsure what to say, there's some pointers there. And of course, he who asks the questions is in control. Yeah, I was going to say something about that too. I think questions, you know, you look at like the Socratic method, right? And just being able to like, I don't know, you know, tell me what you, what you know. And I think that works on an investor call because people that are really good at sales, people don't feel like they're being sold to them, right? Like no one wants to be sold, but everybody wants to buy, right? Everybody, like, so it's kind of a weird dynamic. So if you can just go in and ask, and it's called the exploratory, you just, well, tell me what would this do for you? If you had this cash flow, just imagine you're retired, what day would that be? And what would happen here? What would that give you the ability to do? Would you travel? Would you write the book? Would you, and just try to get them thinking about that, what that would give them. And then you say, okay, what would happen if you didn't have that, whatever. And so what you're doing is even if it doesn't go anywhere, you're helping them to identify what they really want. And that's a very valuable thing. And I think if you can just add value on those calls and then you find a way to say, well, then I actually, some start the call say, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, what are your expectations? What are you looking for as far as returns? And sometimes you get people say, I'm looking for hundred percent return in 12 months. I'm like, well, we're not the right group for you. You know, and it's, it's good to know that. Like we don't want to have ever. So you're also, like you said, it's, you got to qualify your limits. So you're building some scarcity there. But I would also say it actually goes beyond for people that are new. I remember when I was, I'd been doing real estate for years, but I hadn't done multifamily. So here I'm leading this group that, you know, we have 60 people in the room and I'm, you know, I'm interviewing an expert on real estate, but you know, it's, it's amazing when you have a podcast or you have a meetup or something, you're, you're not presenting yourself as an expert. You're presenting yourself as a leader. And there's a difference, right? As a leader, you don't have to know everything. You're just leading the room or you're leading the conversation on the podcast. And what that does is that builds a lot of credibility. And if you ask just honest questions that a lot of other people have, they'll identify like, oh yeah, I really like that, whatever. And you'll learn as well. So I think there's a lot of benefits to just really asking great questions, both to investors, as well as people that are high value. Or if you have some sort of content leadership platform like you do, or I do, it adds a lot of people can connect with you just by you being able to ask questions to people that are really successful, which is amazing. Yeah. Bronson, one of the things that you said that I think some people might overlook, but it's a fairly advanced 
sales message or a fairly advanced conversation message, which is this future casting concept. And some people think like, wow, that's corny or it's goofy. But really, if you put somebody in the place that they want to be and then ask them, how does that make them feel? Like imagine having $25,000 a month or $25,000 a quarter coming in passively and you didn't have to go to the day job every day, or you could start the business, or you could then travel to go see your kids or grandkids, how would that make you feel? Yeah. And that's a question I learned years and years and years ago when I was a financial planner. I was a financial planner right out of college. I went through this very specific sales training, and we would try to get people elevated to the point where they could place themselves into the future and then ask them how that made them feel. Right. And then as long as the recommendation was in line with that feeling and helped them get there, they were much more likely to invest. Some people will be like, well, I think that's a corny sales message, but really that's the final hook, if you will, or the ultimate hook where somebody is going to make that decision. Because now if they feel like they can not only invest and they feel like there's a good operator with experience or partners that have experience, and then the person that's the leader or the person that they have the relationship with, you, Bronson, me, or whoever's sponsoring the deal, raising the money, and then they feel like this person gets me, Yeah, they're done. They're sold, right? Yeah, yeah. you're so right, though. It's just like, if you look at, like, we don't buy based on logic. We don't make, like, financial decisions typically based on logic. You think, oh, we're these, you know, really great, especially people listening, you know, on their financial education. Everybody's listening to this as we think high of ourselves. We're financially educated but like, you want to look at a car commercial, right? It doesn't, here's all the facts. Here's exactly what it does. It's like, no, some guy's racing through the Alps and doing there. And then you feel like you get a sense of, you know, like there and he's, who's he with? He's with some beautiful woman. And you're like, I want to be that guy, whatever you say. So you kind of get to that feeling. And so we really, what happens is if we can just touch people's heart, we can get them to really see what that would do for them. Then the heart wants to make the decision, but you've got to have some data to follow. So you lead with the heart. And then you have the data, here's what it is. But a lot of people, we have trouble because we can't sell anything because we don't actually spend time with people to really uncover what's below people saying, I want cash flow or I want to retire. Well, really, there's like a few questions below that, right? It's the question beyond the question, right? It's like, we want to retire. Well, why? Well, because I hate my job. Well, why? Well, what would you do if you could do anything? Well, I'd travel, I'd write, I'd start the business, I, you know, whatever that thing is. And well, why is that? And it's because well, this happened when I was a kid. And so now it's really important that I make a difference and I give money to this cause I believe in. Right now you've got like, somebody can almost be in tears sharing this because they you've gotten to the core of like, this is what I want. And so regardless, I just think there's so much value of just being somebody who can add to someone's life, add value to their life. And then by doing that, people see, wow, this is someone who just really is interested in helping and serve people. And I think the people that I found that do exceptionally well in this business are not the generally the people that are the, the yachts and my tie kind of lifestyle. There are those people that do it and they do well, but I think people that can really touch people's heart come across very genuinely to say, you know what? I can't help you, but I know this other person over here that can help you. And there's no benefit to me, but like, this is the right thing to do. Right. And so what happens is there's so much equity built in something like that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Quick story. And then I want to ask you, Bronson, how you got started with this. You mentioned medical sales and then you obviously made the pivot at some point. I would love to hear the early challenges that you face. But before I ask you that, recognize one quick thing. When I was a financial advisor, this is going back, I graduated from college in 1998. I got into financial advising right away, series 6, 66, 63, life and health. I wrote fee-based financial plans when I was 24 years old to people who are three times my age, right? Like I really knew anything. It was all like, I, I was just a geek for numbers and I loved it. So I was fairly successful with it. But there was a senior advisor in the firm. His name was Dan. And Dan was making probably $500,000 to $750,000 a year of personal income. And I would take Dan on some of my appointments with me 
to some of these uh, prospects or clients that I had that were had pretty significant net worth. And I got referred to them or I had to set an appointment with them somehow. And I would take Dan with me because I was still sort of uncomfortable right. dealing with someone like that. And I would sit at these appointments with Dan and Dan would talk to these guys for like two hours about God knows what, about all kinds of bull crap. And I was like yeah. underneath the table, like tapping my foot and tapping my knee, thinking like, when are we going to get to the financial <laughs> stuff? Like, when are we going to ask the back finding financial questions? And then inevitably, Dan would always get the account or he would get the rollover or he would sell the insurance. He would get the estate plan. And I was like, dude, how does he do it? He's so annoying. He takes so long. But that was the secret sauce was the relationship building that he did before he ever presented any financial plan. The people knew that Dan weren't in a rush to show up, come to their house or their business and then leave 45 minutes later and then come back and present a product. Dan would sit down and like undo his coat and sit down and get coffee and hang out. Now, you know, I don't know if I want to run my business quite like Dan, but the message is in the fact finding, the asking of the questions, the relationship building. That's what Dan had right. And I was too immature to recognize that back then. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a hundred percent. I was actually an investment advisor for years as well on the side while I was doing medical sales. And uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of just I mean, that's really what it is, right? You think, you know, oh yeah, when do we get to the business? Well, that is the business, right? People, they say they don't know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? So it's the idea of like just being a real person and relating. And there's a guy you could like, you know, go hunting with, or you could take, you go golfing with, you know, like people want people like that. So people typically do business with people they they like and and they trust. And so, you know, you develop credibility when you share about yourself, when you listen, when you're engaging, when you have conversations. And that's why just social skills, and if people feel like they want to really brush up on that, go to networking events. I mean, I was talking to a friend who was at a networking event and said, oh, I feel so uncomfortable being here. I feel so out of place. And well, you know, news is just, I feel out of place at a lot of networking events still. And I've been doing it for years and I feel like I'm a pretty good networker. So like just being in a place that's a little bit uncomfortable, being there, asking questions, watching people like Dan, you mentioned that have a real skill in this, you can get a lot out of that. I'm sure that affected the way you interact with investors and the way you work with people, right? As you watched and you're like, wow, there's some magic here. And now I think I, I've seen a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I got started, it was all about like, you got to have three appointments. You got to have five appointments set per day and you have to hold three. And Dan would have like one a day that would take like two, three hours. And Dan would always sell. It was like, dude, why he only works like three hours a day, but he's got this amazing way of holding a conversation. So that was one of my big takeaways. Bronson, I wanted to ask you then after all of your experience investing and JVing on deals, car washes, ATMs, 200 million of multifamily, what was your start like? And what lessons did you learn along the way that really stand out? Yeah. So I'll give you the, the modified version. I was medical device sales guy. I was making you know 250K a year, was working about 20, 30 hours a week. I really wasn't working that much, but I just, I, I didn't have the control over my time that I wanted. And I had some pressure from sales. And I, I was a good sales guy. I mean, I got president's club, which is top 10%, four out of eight of the years I was eligible. So I was winning trips. But it just it was it really for me was the golden handcuffs. So I was like I wanted to I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, do my own thing. But it was like it was just hard to leave. And so my whole family, when I was getting ready to leave, they were like, or I wanted to leave. I started doing multifamily stuff, and I'll get into the start. But they were all like, "You're crazy. Why would you ever want to leave your great job? It's just you don't even take that many hours, and you get it all done, and you have this." And and then I had this group of entrepreneurs that there were six of them. We met together once a month about our businesses. And pretty much without exception, they were all like, yeah, you should leave your job pretty much as soon as possible. And this was after I'd kind of developed some things. But uh, my background in real estate, I'd bought a house uh, just out of college. I bought, you know, it was in another state. I moved somewhere for a job, kept the house. 
as it as a landlord, you know, out of area landlord, it did well. Then I thought, okay, great. You know, I think like a lot of people think single family is going to get them to financial freedom, but I really believe that for most people, it doesn't. I'd say like, you know, most people that do single family trying to become financially free, it doesn't really get you where you want to go. And the reason why is it's just not scalable. I mean, you know, even now, if you can find something that actually cash flows, it's not going to be much. And you just got to, you have to wait some 10, 15 years for things to really appreciate enough. So what I realized is, as I learned about multifamily through a relative who said, you know, my goal was at the time, my goal was to get 30 houses uh, in the Cleveland area. I had four, I think at the time. And so he's like, you know, that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily? And so I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And, uh, you know, you've heard this saying it, it takes money to make money, but the truth is it does take money to make money. It just doesn't have to be your money. And some people would say it's actually selfish if you only use your own money. Right. So Robert Kiyosaki said that before everyone say that. So I learned about syndication. I read, you know, my cousin who's, you know, a well known or he's not well known, but he's, he's very wealthy and he's been doing it for 25 years. He says, Hey, read this book, listen to this podcast, go to this event. So I just looked at everything he said. And within a few months I'd started a meetup. And then I, I went to an event that I, I approached somebody who was a, a successful guy. You know, this is about almost a year into it. And I said, Hey, you know, how's it going raising money? This person was teaching other people to syndicate, but they were really having trouble raising money, but they had a huge platform. So I just basically said, well, what about this particular area of your business? And somebody at that event had said, it's like that quote, make yourself valuable to valuable people. And I'd never heard that. But what that's saying, and that's from some Jim Rohn, that's basically saying like, create value to someone who's creating a lot of value and that, that will make a place for you, right? So that's what I did. And then over the next 18 months of having that conversation, we raised 15 million together. And then I kind of branched off and kind of, you know, went out on my own a couple of years ago and stuff. So, so I think it's just, you know, really what, what, what are the things that happened? I saw what was out there. I saw other, I knew if other, somebody else was doing this thing that I could learn how to do it. And that's what I feel about syndication. It's something, it's, it's a skill that can be learned. It can be, it can take six months, a year or more before you get your first deal done. But once you get your first deal done, everything changes. People look at you differently. You're more of an industry insider. And then, you know, going bigger, I think going a hundred units or more is easier than doing, you know, 10 units or less, but that's my opinion. And there's a number of reasons for that, but those are a few kind of highlights from kind of how I, how I got going. Yeah. And what did you learn? Like you mentioned a couple couple nuggets there that I'll spit back to you. You said going bigger, sometimes easier being valuable to valuable people, kind of fitting something that they need. I actually just got an email from one of our mastermind members that said, Hey, he's got a dream to buy his family farm and he needs X amount of dollars. And he did exactly that. He's asking me like, well, how can I be valuable to you, Josh? Like, what do you need help with? Because on his own, I don't know if he can get the 600 or raise the 600, but he did exactly that. Like, what can I, how can I reach out or how can I become valuable to you? That's really, really key, right? So some, some nuggets there. Anything else, Bronson, before we kind of wrap up that really stands out? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, again, I just go back to one of those nuggets and kind of explain a little more. Well, a lot of times we approach people, I'm sure you get approached a lot, you know, you run a mastermind, you get approached from people saying, Hey, I want you to do this for me, or I want you to mentor me, or Hey, how can I help you? And those are all like, especially how can I help? You? That's a great question, but it doesn't mean like, I don't know, what do you do? Like, I don't know how like, I get approached by that too. But when you can find somebody who's doing is making a difference in the world and has a lot of vision, like, like you do, Josh, I mean, you're going to have a lot of challenges in your business, things that you're facing because you're doing big things, right? I'm doing big things. So we're facing big challenges, but we're thinking about all the time. But a lot of people are coming to us saying, hey, how can I get from you as well? Which is, you know, that's fine. That's what we're here to give. But when someone comes and says, hey, I thought about your business, Josh, but I thought about this aspect of it. And have you thought about doing this or could I, or, you know, refer you to somebody or could I help in this specific way? Like that's a very, that's like when people do, it doesn't happen very often. Somebody will do that. And they'll do it really well. And I'm like, wow, that was really 
it feels very different. And it also is like, man, this is somebody that I could really consider working with because first of all, they're thinking about giving first, not necessarily what they can get. Because if you can create the value, it doesn't have to be, you have to go out and do everything from scratch. You can just find somebody who's doing it. Hey, is there any way that I can help grow this or having those conversations? So even like when we talk to investors, it's the same thing when working with partners, just trying to figure out what people need. So if you can just try to find a way to create value, there will always be a place for you at the table. So I think that's the biggest thing I think for people that are getting started out, starting out is just going to meetups, going to events, asking questions, being curious, and then looking for the opportunity. What do I have that maybe this person could benefit from? And is there a way to kind of ask them about that in a way that's not I'm just just pitching them. It's more like, well, what about this? What would it mean? And what would it mean if we could help solve this problem or if you could solve this problem? And so it opens yeah. up doors. Fantastic stuff. Bronson, listen, lots of nuggets in there. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. To my listeners and our audience, go visit bronsonequity.com. There you're going to find Bronson's book that he authored called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage with a couple of the techniques and strategies that we talked about today. Bronson, when they do go to your website, Bronson Equity, what else are they going to find there? Yeah, so you can download that free ebook, How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. Uh, we are in the process right now of creating a one-day event in Los Angeles called the Zero Tax Investing Summit. So I found that for a lot of professionals and business owners, there's not a lot of places to go to find tax strategy unless you pay uh, expensive tax strategists. So we're basically doing an event just with a bunch of CPAs and you know some of the best tax strategists in the country of how to reduce taxes legally or you know, even you know through the real estate professional status or other ways. So that's another thing we're working on. We also have our show the mailbox money, which is a podcast. We got to have you on it as well. Yeah, we have that's... you talk about what you're working on, but I appreciate it, man. This has really been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Bronson, listen, thanks so much for carving out some time for us today on Accelerated Investor. Thanks, man. Well, hey, listen, I hope you enjoyed that interview with me and Bronson. I really love some of the detail, some of the specifics that he gave around some of the questions that he asks, some of the ways to set up and start your investor interview some of the different ways to structure deals through a fund of funds, strategy, and diversification, as well as some of the things that he talked about regarding his current investments and how he's diversified away from multifamily, still investing in multifamily if the deal is right, but also diversifying some other things that create really consistent cash flow. So I'm a big fan of that stuff. If you enjoyed this interview, subscribe, like, rate, and review the podcast, and we'll see you next time on Accelerated Investor. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.